honestly don't think that they're going to spend too much time on deciding whether you know Trump qualifies in, as an insurrectionist or not. I think really the question is, you know, who makes the decision? What's the process for making that decision? Welcome to the Powers That Beat Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Ben Landy. It's Friday, December 29th. Today, I'm joined by Puck's legal analyst, Eric Gardner, to discuss one of the biggest late-breaking news stories of the year. Will Donald Trump be banned from running for president in Colorado under the 14th Amendment? And will the case go to the Supreme Court? And later, we'll get into the legal conundrum surrounding the potential merger of Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount, and whether CBS could be combined with CNN. We'll talk about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Ben Landy, filling in for our buddy Peter. And uh, this is the last episode of the year. We're going to have some fun. And we are talking to Eric Gardner about some of the biggest legal stories of 2023, which just so happened to break in the last week or so. Welcome back, Eric. Nice to see you. Oh, thanks for having me on this last very important show. (laughs) Well, let's get right back into it. There was some pretty seismic legal news recently when the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Donald Trump is ineligible to appear on the state's ballot because he engaged in insurrection against the country, which, surprise, surprise, uh, gets you banned from holding office under the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. I will confess I was not aware or had forgotten about the insurrection ban in the Constitution. Seems totally appropriate. But as you know better than anybody, when it comes to the law, nothing is black and white. And we are now assuming this will probably go to the U.S. Supreme Court on appeal Assuming that does happen, that Trump appeals it, which his campaign has said that they're going to do, and also assuming that the Supreme Court does pick it up, which I also assume they'll have to do, would this impact all 50 states? Are we looking at a a possibility of the Supreme Court issuing a ruling that could disqualify Trump entirely from being president? Uh, It's very doubtful that it would disqualify him entirely. What would happen 
uh, if the Colorado ruling is upheld, is that you know each state would get to basically make its own choice. One of the key questions here is you know what Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment means and whether it's self-executing. Uh, so, so question one, does it apply to the president? And there, there's uh, a variety of opinions on that. Uh, the, the district judge, after a trial, ruled that it didn't apply to the president, and the Colorado Supreme Court re- reversed the district court. And then the, the bigger question really is who gets to enforce that provision? Who, who, you know, who decides whether someone's an insurrectionist or not? Is it, is it self-executing? Does that mean that, that, that Congress uh, doesn't need to make any further law um, that some any state or any citizen can, can come in and challenge someone's uh, ballot access? Or does, does Congress need to, you know, take an, another step and decide to, you know, declare that someone ha- is an insurrectionist? Uh, so those are basically the big questions in this case. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think that, that the Supreme Court would make a ruling that Trump is an insurrectionist, that he can't serve as president anymore. What they would do is clarify uh, the Constitution and clarify whether Colorado can, can step in and, and uh, make its own interpretation. Yeah, I mean, this does seem like sort of a Mueller era MSNBC fever dream. And it's definitely hard to imagine when you have a majority conservative court with three justices that Donald Trump appointed himself. Uh, but I mean, just to add my two cents as a citizen, um, not as a pundit or and definitely not as a lawyer, it does seem sort of patently and inarguably true that Trump did try to overthrow the 2020 election result, uh, both, you know, politically threatening lawmakers, trying to contort the legal system uh, by encouraging protests that spiraled into a violent riot in the U.S. Capitol. But Eric, I assume the issue comes down to sort of how the justices interpret that word, insurrection, and that some of it is going to come down to how they read it through a originalist lens, which is sort of the the preferred way of, of answering these questions for the conservative justices. And that probably comes back to the historical context around what were lawmakers thinking in the aftermath of the Civil War when the 14th Amendment was uh, was put into action? You know, I, I honestly don't think that they're going to spend too much time on deciding whether, you know, Trump qualifies in, as an insurrectionist or not. I think really the question is, you know, who makes the decision? What's the process for making that decision? Uh, usually, uh, I think, uh, the Supreme Court would be loath to to go in and overturn a state Supreme Court to overturn an issue of state law. Um, you know, the, the one infamous example of them doing this was Bush v. Gore, uh, where they, they went in and stopped a recount. But usually the Supreme Court is loath to decide, you know, who appears on local ballots. That being said, if I had to predict, I would predict that the Colorado Supreme Court is going to be reversed. But, you know, some of the issues that, that I'm looking at are kind of side issues. You know, number one, does this give an opportunity for, for some of the liberal justices to kind of trade their votes? You know, uh, you know, basically, OK, we're going to allow Trump to be on the ballot in Colorado, but maybe in return, the, the more conservative justices will decide that he's not immune from you know, being prosecuted criminally in, in the D.C. circuit. Two, does, does it speed up the timing of these cases? You know, all of a sudden there's a very pressing need uh, for the Supreme Court to intervene uh, on this Trump election thing. Um, so maybe that makes it easier to hold a big hearing in January for not just this uh, Colorado thing, but also the D.C. thing, too. 
Um, and I also think that the scope of this decision uh, shouldn't be underestimated. We're not just talking about Trump here. We're, we're potentially talking about other Republican politicians across the country who participated in that January event. We're talking about, you know, potentially Trump's electors who would go in the Electoral College to vote for him. So I think uh, one should not uh, underestimate the uh, the, the, the t- tales of this decision and what it might mean. Also, I think that, you know, it's possible that the Supreme Court decides other issues while dealing with this. For instance, does Trump have some First Amendment right to say whatever he wants, even if it sparks insurrection? I think most people agree that there is no such First Amendment right. But, you know, this might be an opportunity for the justices to clear that up right away. Um, so I, I think there's a very important and, and there, there's a host of reasons why this is important just beyond deciding whether Trump is an insurrectionist or not. That is totally fascinating. And it had not even occurred to me that the Supreme Court might use this as an opportunity to issue a sort of omnibus ruling where, where, where they get into all of this stuff at once, especially that question of whether Donald Trump is immune from prosecution for attempting to overturn the 2020 election, which is a the question, of course, that is um, being grappled with right now in D.C., which uh, is currently with the, uh, the D.C. Circuit Court. But Eric, I want to pull back a little bit and ask you sort of a bigger picture question um, about all the, the sort of the politics surrounding this. I think there is a sense, obviously, among Republicans, uh, but also some Democrats, that this is all kind of unhealthy socially, culturally, politically, that we have courts dealing with these questions. I, I think everyone would feel more comfortable on some level if these issues were hashed out at the ballot box. But I thought that um, J. Michael Ludig, uh, he's the prominent conservative legal scholar, made a really interesting point about this. I don't know if you saw his interview with Politico, where he was asked about whether there was something undemocratic about courts ruling on this. And um, he, he made a great point, which I'm, I'm just going to read because I, I thought it was really smart. He said, the Constitution itself tells us that the disqualification of the former president is not anti-democratic. Rather, the Constitution tells us that it is the conduct that can give rise to disqualification under the 14th Amendment that is anti-democratic. He goes on to say, you know, we're, we're a nation of laws, not of men, and the Constitution provides this framework for disqualification that it's not political. It is the opposite of politics. This is constitutional law in action. I agree with all that, though I'm, I'm sort of surprised uh, by his confidence that the Supreme Court is actually going to follow uh, the, sort of the, the letter of objective law as he sees it. I suppose I, I find it a lot more likely that they are going to rationalize backward from whatever conclusion they want to reach. And um, to the point you were just making, it sounds like they're going to want to address this in a much more narrow way, rather than issuing a decision that actually takes Trump off the ballot entirely. I, I think that the Supreme Court is going to have to do some gymnastics here. I mean, I, you know, you, you can see the tensions that, that come up when reading this latest decision. The, it quotes, you know, Gorsuch's uh, past decisions. I mean, like the, the Supreme Court is probably going to lean towards allowing Trump uh, on the ballot. Uh, but it's going to be fascinating to see how it gets there. And you know what? Uh, you know, Trump has heightened the, these political tensions over the courts. You know, he's, you know, every single chance he gets, every single 
single loss he experiences. It's all like some democratic conspiracy, uh, election interference by Biden's DOJ. Um, so, you know, he, he wants to amp that up. This is going to be a very, very shaky year. It's going to be a very uncomfortable year. There's going to be lots of legal intrigue. Um, and I think that we're, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about the, the confluence between p- politics and law uh, in the next few months. Yeah, I mean, the, the country is just a powder keg right now, and um, this is going to be seismic no matter how it breaks. All right, Eric, we've got to go to a quick break. And when we get back, I want to talk to you about a, a big business story that just broke last week that might have some interesting legal implications, too, in Washington. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. All right, we're back. Eric, I want to get your thoughts on this other big 2023 storyline that um, also just happened to break last week. And that's the news that Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav 
recently met with Paramount Global CEO Bob Backish to discuss a merger of their two companies. You've written a lot about how the antitrust environment has sort of evolved over the last year, given that the Biden administration has been pretty aggressive on this stuff, um, but also the fact that Lena Khan at the FTC has struck out in court a number of times over the last few years, too. So I'm curious what you make of a potential merger, whether it's WBD buying Paramount, or we've also talked about this possibility of WBD combining with NBC Universal, which is an idea that's obviously been kicking around Wall Street. There's a lot of consolidation on the horizon in media. Do you think there is a lane for this kind of stuff to go through, or does Lena and and, and Joe Biden bring down the hammer on uh, any of these potential mergers? Yeah, it's a really fascinating question. I think a question that's really evolved over time. If you had, you know, spoken about this, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, talking about a merger between Warner Brothers and Paramount, we'd say no way. Um, But, you know, in in that time, we've seen Netflix come along, we've seen Amazon and Apple come along. And so it's a a really different industry today than it was uh, back then. That being said, these regulators are highly, highly vigilant, and they're going to want to crack down on any consolidation. In fact, they, they just you know put forth uh, new merger guidelines, uh, which you know raise a presumption of illegality anytime there's a significant increase in concentration in a market. And so, yeah, I think that they would stand up to something like this, especially uh, a merger that you know might take. Uh, CNN and, and merge it with CBS. Those are two huge news organizations. I think that would raise uh, some flags, um, not just uh, at the DOJ, by the way, but I also think uh, the FCC might have something to say about this because we're talking about CBS with, with its licenses. So uh, th- this one is definitely going to get a lot of attention uh, in DC and a lot of attention by regulators. Uh, that's not to say that it can't be done. Uh, obviously, I think the, the merging parties are in a much pe- better position to effectuate uh, a transaction of this kind than they would have uh, a bunch of years ago when there was no you know, big streamers and you know, the, the tech uh, companies weren't providing this massive competition. But I, I, I do think that, um, especially on the labor front, um, we're, we're looking at you know, the consolidation of studios might mean less jobs out there. And that is going to be a red flag for a lot of uh, regulators. Well, obviously here at Puck, all all these potential mergers have been an obsession for years. Um, Our our partner, uh, Bill Cohen, has been writing about this forever, about all the different potential combinations that are always being dreamed up on Wall Street by by M&A bankers who who want a piece of this action. But if you're David Zaslav and, and you're looking out there and trying to think about what other companies you might merge with or acquire to make your business bigger and to get the scale to compete with Netflix, do you think buying Paramount is easier? I mean, you just mentioned there could be potential issues merging CNN with CBS News, but that is a, a cable network and a broadcaster. So there, there are slightly different rules applying between those two, right? Whereas just for instance, it would be very, very difficult for NBC Universal to merge with Paramount because presumably you could not combine NBC News and CBS News, which are sort of in the, the same category. Is that a differentiating factor that, that is something that uh, regulators are going to be looking at? Or do you think it's just combining any two big news entities that's going to generate this kind of scrutiny? Well, the first thing that regulators do when they analyze this 
sort of thing is to try to define the market. And there are different markets out there. So, so a transaction like this would be, you know, analyzed in a lot of different ways. It'd be, you know, analyzed as, you know, two big studios coming together. It would be analyzed as, um, you know, a consolidation of, of big news producers. Uh, and there are probably other, you know, smaller things that we're not even thinking about, you know, in terms of, you know, like gaming or, or something along those lines. And so all these little things would uh, be analyzed and there might be concessions that are made where, you know, you know the merger goes through, but uh, they'd have to divest uh, a certain portion of the business. As, as Bill would say, this is not investment advice, but, you know, I, I often struggle to see the uh, the logic of, of something like this. I understand that scale is necessary uh, when you're putting a, a streamer together these days. Um, but, you know, for my money, I don't understand why you just wouldn't use that money to just make the best shows possible, why you need to, uh, you know, buy a different studio to to get that. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's gonna be. It's gonna be a real fascinating issue. There are other, uh, you know, s- smaller studios uh, uh, also on the market too, such as Lionsgate. So, so we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's gonna have to be some movement in the M and A space, just because some of these companies are are basically like untenable at this point. I mean, you you look at Paramount and their linear assets are declining year after year. You know, the the studio still makes good money, but everybody except for Netflix is just losing so much money on streaming that I think there's a feeling that some of these companies do need to merge or find other ways to partner with each other, whether it's bundling or something else to make the economics work. Because right now, everybody's losing uh, billions of dollars a year. Um, Some of them have paired those losses a little bit. But um, to your point, it's really um, it's a rough environment out there, and and if Washington doesn't look favorably upon this stuff, it's going to make it doubly tough to see how someone like Sherry Redstone can turn around her fortunes if she's ready to dislodge all these assets and uh, and move on. But um, Eric, thanks as always for stopping by. Appreciate your insight. This is going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple months. Uh, my pleasure, and I uh, look forward to seeing you again next year. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you on Monday. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.